Right, I want to begin with a clip, and I'm going to be showing various portions of this. Uh, this is the PBS uh, home video uh, on empires called Kingdom of David. And uh, there are certain extracts of this that are extremely well done and that pose questions for us or that make points, I think, particularly powerfully. And I want to begin with one of those clips this morning, and hopefully the sound is up enough that you can hear this and that you can see it. In the fourth century BC, a remarkable people invaded the Middle East. They were the Greeks. Led by one of the greatest generals in history, Alexander the Great, the Greeks would conquer the world from Greece to India. There was far more to the Greeks than military prowess. The Greeks had created the most sophisticated civilization the world had ever seen. Their magnificent art was inspired by a reverence for the human body, which also found its expression in the athletic feats on display in their Olympic Games. But the Greeks also revered the mind. And their greatest thinkers were responsible for the flowering of philosophy, science, and mathematics. As a result, Hellenic architecture, politics, and economics were centuries ahead of the other peoples of the world. For the Jews, the takeover of most of the known world by the Greeks was a threat more dire than any Amir army could pose. When the Greek world expanded ever eastward, ultimately the Jews of the land of Israel found themselves almost literally smack in the middle of the Hellenistic Empire. We were surrounded by Hellenistic culture and willy-nilly we found ourselves becoming Hellenists. This triggered both a great advance and a great struggle within the Jewish people for how we would identify. Would we simply succumb to Hellenism or would we somehow maintain our unique identity as a people? Now that is precisely the question we posed in the first class, that the arrival of Hellenism produced a challenge for Judaism in terms of its identity. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at uh, in what we do today. We're going to be considering the period that extends from the early part of the fourth century, and uh, particularly from the period of, uh, of Alexander the Great uh, in 323, we're basically to 323 uh, BC, all the way up to as close to Pompeii and Rome's entry into Jerusalem in 63 BC. This is not the destruction of the temple. This is the taking over of Jerusalem by the Romans. And so our hope is to take a look at this and to examine, uh, examine kind of where we, where we are. And we start today with Alexander the Great. Um, in Judaism, for this period, there is probably no greater source for information than the historian Josephus. Josephus was 
originally a political leader of the Jewish people. In fact, he was a general. He fought against the Romans starting, uh, starting in the 60s, before the destruction of Jerusalem, A.D. 60, and uh, lost a battle at Gamla uh, to the Romans in 67, three years before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Gamla is in northern Galilee, and we will actually see pictures later on the semester of that site. Uh, it happens to preserve one of the few remains that we have of a first century uh, synagogue. Anyway, Josephus was captured by the Romans, came into the Roman court, and began writing about Judaism to the Romans so that they can understand uh, Jewish people better, and he wrote four works. One of them was called Antiquities. It covers the history of Israel starting from Genesis and going all the way up to Josephus' time. Second one was called Jewish War, which basically looks at the war in 66 to 70, but starting with the Maccabean struggle that we're going to talk about today. The third one was against Appion, which is a book in defense of Judaism by someone who is attacking Judaism, Appion. And then the fourth work was called The Life. It was a biography, the theme of which is, what a great guy I am. So, uh, um, so that's Josephus, a very uh, significant character. And we would know very much less about this period of history if we did not have Josephus. And during the semester, I'm going to be citing for you portions of Josephus because part of where we get the information of what you hear about, about this period, comes directly from what he has to tell us. And there's a very famous incident of Alexander coming into Jerusalem that uh, Josephus recounts for us in Antiquities, Book 11, and then the way, uh, the way the material in Josephus is sectioned out is that it's sectioned out by book, chapter, section, and then almost sentence number. It's not quite sentence number, but almost sentence number. And so you see 1185, 329 to 31, in case you want to look that up in your Gideon's Josephus later. Uh, and this is what he had to say about Alexander's visit to Jerusalem. And when he understood that he was not far from the city, he went out in procession with the priests and multitudes of the citizens. The procession was venerable, and the matter of it different from that of other nations. It reached to a place called Sapha, which name translated into Greek signifies a prospect, for you have thence a prospect of both Jerusalem and of the temple. And when the Phoenicians and the Chaldeans that followed him thought they should have liberty to plunder the city and torment the high priest to death, which the king's displeasure fairly promised them, the very reverse of it happened. For Alexander, when he saw the multitude at a distance in white garments, while the priest stood clothed with fine linen, and the high priest in purple and scarlet clothing, with his mitre on his head, having the gold plate on which the name of God was engraved, he approached by himself, adored that name, and first saluted the high priest. So this is a story of respect that Alexander shows to the high priest uh, upon his approach to Jerusalem and uh, indicating a little bit of, of the character of the Greeks and that they, on the one hand, conquered, but on the other hand, uh, showed some deference to all religious practice in that they were very much like the Persians. 
Now, we talked a little bit about the effects of Hellenism. This is the beginning of Western civilization as we know it. And the goal of the Hellenists was to try and create one culture that extended from the east, what we call the Far East today, because uh, Alexander's conquering went as far as India, all the way over to the west. His soldiers marched 11,000 miles in eight years. Okay? And that may not sound like a lot, but remember, you're doing all that by foot or on horse and carrying supplies. Um, there is the flowering of intellect and there is a focus on the individual. The film talked about uh, the worship of the human body. That was a part of this <coughs> impact. And the idea of thinking about the individual and his rights and his role in the state is something that goes back uh, into Hellenism for us. Most uh, thinking was done very corporately up to this time. It was the group that you belonged to that was by far more important than the individual. This is a full culture that was exported everywhere and it expanded trade. One of the innovations of the Hellenists was the invention of money as opposed to bartering. So instead of trading goods for goods, they established a monetary system which uh, then allowed the opening up of trade. Religiously, Hellenism was chaos in the sense that there were gods everywhere, but, and this is extremely important, everybody believed in some form of what I'm describing as an animated creation. Everyone had a belief that there were gods and spirits out there, something beyond what you could see, touch, feel, or taste. And so this plethora of options spiritually opened up a very polytheistic, multi-religious, pluralistic, cultural option for Judaism. But it's not like today. Today, in many parts of the world, there is this pluralism, but many people don't have any belief in anything beyond the material world. And so in that sense, the ancient world is very, very different. If you walk into Pompeii, you know, which is just uh, in the region of Naples in, in Italy and is across, of course, from the famous eruption of Mount Vesuvius where that culture was basically snapshotted in soot for all time. If you walk into Pompeii and you look at the houses, in the houses in the living rooms, you will see little niches, little carved out areas where the family gods would, would be placed and where offerings would be offered daily in the homes. So this is a very religious culture, even though the variety of gods are there because the idea was you barter with the gods, and the more gods you barter with, the better off you will be long-term in terms of your well-being. All of this, both culturally and religiously, put pressure on Jewish tradition and lifestyle, and every Jew was forced with a choice. Do they acclimate and assimilate to the, to the culture and to the religion that Hellenism was introducing, or do they resist it, or do they do something in between? And all those options were taken. 